Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 84 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Right back at you. It's such a gorgeous day, and we haven't seen each other once again for two whole weeks. Well, we had a little joint jaunt in the middle, but it was brief. We did. It was a very quick little time to come together at a book Yeah, event. and it but, was yeah. really close after our last episode. Yes, so. yeah, but it feels like I haven't seen you forever, and yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to fall, because I feel Me like, too. you know, getting back into the rhythm of school, maybe that'll mean more cougar time. Exactly. Yeah, we're recording. It's August 31st. Fall is in the air. Students are back in classes. Yeah, I love yeah. back to school, at and ironically, here, yeah. this year... For me, my daughter works in a school, so she goes back to school every year, but my son just went back to grad school, so everyone's back in school, (laughs) and I kind of love it. I have to say, I was always one of those parents that, you know, as much as I loved the summer, I didn't mourn the loss of summer and always loved everyone. My kids both played soccer, so getting back into fall was always filled with events and fun. Yeah. That's how I always thought of it. It's totally fun. When I worked at the bookstore... One of my favorite days was when the kids went back to school because the moms, it was usually moms, would come in looking relaxed for the first time (laughs) in months. They'd get a latte, they'd browse the bookshelves, and they all had these goofy grins on their faces. It was great. They're like, oh, school is back in. I just think it's fun for everyone to have a place to be. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm anal that way. I really do like it, so... (laughs) So anyway, here we are. It's exciting to be here with Chris today. I have to confess that I I had a very funny dream last night, which oh. I feel like I should share with my fellow cougar, because it was so odd. I had a dream that I was on a date with Rhett Butler. Oh my God. <laughs> wow, that's a Gone with the Wind hangover dream. I know, and it, but, but also some insight into my brain. I mean, our read-along of Gone with the Wind is far over and it's like I'm suddenly accessing some part of my brain like I think I'd like to have a date with Red Butler so I think we went to a Broadway show (laughs) and I woke up kind of giggling and I was with Jim the gentleman caller and he's like what are you laughing about and I said I just had a dream I was on a date with Red Butler (laughs) he just started laughing so hard it was really funny So so would there have been a second date I don't know. I woke up to, like, I remember feeling like it was fun and kind of awkward, as most dates are, first dates, you know. But I didn't get any farther than that. I do remember thinking he was very handsome and debonair. (laughs) (laughs) That's fabulous. (laughs) Which could likely lead to a second date. (laughs) So, speaking of read-alongs. Yes, we are ready to announce our next read-along, our read-along for the fall. We'll be with one of our favorite authors, Menjin Lee. Two years ago, we talked a lot about Pachinko, which we both loved. And this will be a relong of Free Food for Millionaires, which is her first novel. Right. Pachinko was her second novel. Yeah. And it's part of a trilogy, these books. Uh, she's currently working on her third. Right. And uh, so Free Food for Millionaires came first, then Pachinko, and the third one will be coming, hopefully, Within the next couple of years. Yeah, maybe that's a question. We're going to get a chance to speak with Min about Free Food for Millionaires. So maybe that's a question we can ask her. Prod yeah. a little bit. I know I follow her, I mean, close to probably it's safer to say I stalk her <laughs> on all forms of her social media. She's very busy, yeah. but um, she has definitely been doing research, a lot of research for the third book. I'm not sure how much writing time she gets because yeah. she's so busy, but it'll be fun to talk with her about that. So we're we're aiming for, we, we're still working with Min on the date that the three of us will be able to discuss the book. But we're aiming for it to be somewhere the end of October, mid-November. Yeah, so this is what we're going to do. It is a chunkster of a book. So we will have a discussion thread on Goodreads set up. We're going to get that live on October 1st. And we'll break it down into three different discussion threads because there are three books within the novel. Um, That way we can have conversations as people are reading along and avoid a lot of spoilers that might be along the way. Right. And the good thing about this is, as you're reading, if you choose to read along with us, jot down questions that you would like to ask men, because we'll have the opportunity to ask her some of the questions that you all have. Right. Yeah, that would be really fun. We'd really like to be able to include you, our listeners, in the conversation. Yeah. 
So looking forward to that. And then we also have a big thank you to issue to our friend Linda Johnson. She is the keeper of our Goodreads bookshelf. Yes, she is the official book cougars librarian. (laughs) Yes, and she does a fantastic job. We have over a thousand books on the shelf. So what Linda does is as she's listening to all the episodes and every book we mention, she puts on our Goodreads shelf. So you can check that out. Everything we've ever talked about is popping up on Goodreads. It's a great reference. She even references, I believe, the episode that it appeared in. That's great. And often, of course, we mention books more than once, and so I'm sure that she references the first episode they're mentioned in. Yeah. So, so, um, thank you, so, Linda. Yeah, thank you so much, Linda. It's really lovely. I use it myself, and um, it's just such a wonderful resource. We really appreciate it. And it's also amazing to realize we've mentioned that many books. I, know. I was kind of shocked when I saw <laughs> what the most recent number is. So what are you currently reading? Well, I'm currently reading the same books as last time because really I've been kind of busy with house stuff. As I've mentioned before, we're packing house, uh, getting ready to move. So I am reading A Woman of No Importance, The Untold Story of the American Spy Who Helped Win World War II. And that is about Virginia Hall. And the book is written by Sonia Purnell. And then I'm also reading Becoming Willa Cather, Creation and Career, by Daryl Palmer, which is, and they're both really good. I just haven't had time to do much reading, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah that's great. And I know you've also said you've been in a little bit of a Middlemarch hangover, so it's nice for yeah. you to just read some nonfiction. Yeah, I have been. Yeah, I, you know, I picked up a couple novels after Middlemarch, and it just was like, nope, not yeah. the right time. Yeah, and you're about to start the Song of Solomon read along, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's good to take a little break too. Before exactly. You That's why I thought that just yeah. just let it go. Yeah. You know, you have these two great nonfiction books going. Just yeah. Yeah, so. I'm I'm currently reading For the Love of Men: A New Vision of Mindful Masculinity by Liz Plank. This one comes out on September 10th, which actually isn't that far away. I'm realizing, mm-hmm. and it's about the toxic male culture. I think this is a book a lot of people are going to be talking about this fall because she takes a really different stance where it's talking about it's not really forgiving males for how they behave in in our culture, but trying to understand how that's developed and how from a very young age we kind of almost work on little boys to be mirrors to that whole vision of boys will be boys. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't be soft, you can't be gentle, you can't have emotions and feelings, and you can't be a girl. Don't act like a girl. Don't act like, yeah, that's the ultimate insult. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So it's a very interesting exploration. I've only just begun. I'm very excited that I was able to get an advanced reader copy because this is one that I've been hearing a lot of, rumblings about the importance of it to our culture and how it's a very good I don't want to say it's a response to the Me Too movement but it's an important partner mm-hmm. really to, of in yeah. understanding where we are in our culture and how men have been raised to view women and to be held in our society yeah. you know It's really interesting because I I do think some of the studies that need to happen it's you know the focus has been on say women being raped Mm -hmm. and not so much on why do men rape right and what can we do about that or unwanted pregnancies it's always the focus is on women and it's like well it takes men right and then with guns as well studying problems in society from a different angle violence yeah well she does reference you know why let's look at the mass shootings we've had and the perpetrators of the mass shootings and why are these, in a large part, young white men so angry and violent, Mm -hmm. you know? And a lot of times people think it's the video games they're playing. Well, why do we encourage boys to play video games Mm -hmm. or not discourage them? Well, why why are video games violent in the first place, right? Right. And I think years ago it was lone wolf. Oh, they're a lone wolf. And Mm -hmm. I think we've gotten to the point of a society that we realize there is really no such thing as a lone wolf. Yeah. And realizing that we have a problem in society. That it's a cultural thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So again, it's called For the Love of Men, A New Vision of Mindful Masculinity by Liz Plank. It makes me think about the Gloria Steinem quote that I love that she says, 
the most important thing we can do for feminism is raise good men. And so I'm very, as as the mother of a young man and a woman in a relationship with a man, I mean, I'm finding the book very interesting. I highly recommend it. Um, again, it'll be out on September 10th. Sounds good. And then I'm also reading The Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna by Juliet Grames. This is a chunkster. It's about 450 pages. I'm about 150 pages in. I, too, have been having a hard time, I think because of my work life, of just kind of being able to escape into fiction. And I I finished a book that I loved, too, that I'll talk about. So I've been having a hard time stepping in. And this one has taken me a little while to get started. But I talked to Aunt Ellen, who read it. Or no, she was almost done and then it disappeared because it was a library read, you know, so she's anxiously waiting to get it back to finish it. But she said it took her about 100 pages to really get swept up in the story. So I heard her voice in my head and I've been keeping at it and I'm at about 150 pages and I am really enjoying it. It's a, a story about a family in Italy and it's from the vantage point of actually I haven't quite figured out who's telling the story, which is interesting. Yeah. But it's um, the main character is a young woman named Stella who um, has many episodes, near-death experiences, which is what the title suggests. But then weaved into these experiences is the story of her and her family and coming-of-age story. But now it's also an immigrant story because I'm at the point in the story where they have left Italy and arrived at Ellis Island, you know, coming to America. So so I'm enjoying it. Uh, Again, The Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna by Juliet Grames. And this was the one that was recommended by Alyssa, our buddy over... Um, the Savoy Bank Square Books. Yeah. 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 Oh, excellent. So thank you, Alyssa. Very cool. So what have you just read? I finished Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe by Heather Weber. As our buddy Russell says when I posted about this book online, if that isn't an Emily book, I've never (laughs) seen an Emily book. And I loved it. Great. Oh, my gosh. So not many cupcakes. No cupcakes, as a matter of fact. Oh. Lots of pie. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really fun. It's um, the story of a young woman whose grandmother, Granny Z, owned a restaurant called the Blackbird Cafe in a town of Wicklow, Alabama. I never looked up to see if that was a fictional or real town. And Granny passes away and leaves the cafe to her granddaughter, Anna Kate. So Anna Kate moves back to the small town thinking she's just going to, you know, stop in and see what's going on and then get the cafe listed for sale Mm -hmm. and head to medical school, which is her plan. But instead, she comes back to the small town where her mother had left. And it was always her mother kind of always looked at her experience in this small town begrudgingly and didn't really want Anna Kate to have any experiences there. So she steps back into the small town. Now both her grandmother and her mother have passed away, and she gets to know the cast of characters that lives there as they enter the cafe, you know? Yeah. And for anyone who lives in a small town or has, you know, any experience with small towns, there's always a restaurant that is the epicenter of all activity. <laughs> and the Blackbird Cafe is that restaurant. But there's also the magical realism of Granny Z used to bake these pies. And the pies, when people ate a slice of pie, they would have dreams. And often the dreams would take them to have conversations or experiences with people in their lives that were no longer there. Mm. So that's where the magical realism comes in. And Anna Kate needs to figure out how to bake the pies because everyone's freaking out because they can't have their dreams anymore. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 So it's really fun. No Um, pressure. No pressure. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also, you know, there are some storylines of, you know, grief and loss and people coming back to the small town to find themselves again, Mm -hmm. including Anna Kate. So I really enjoyed it. It was a complete pleasure and escape and easy read. So I highly recommend it. Um, Again, Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe by Heather Weber. I will say I still haven't gotten a piece of pie and I craved pie the entire time I read that book. We're going to have to go out for some pie this (laughs) week. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, for those of you who might be listening for the first time or didn't uh, catch the cupcake references in the past... Emily likes a a mystery, a good mystery that has more cupcake type 
action in it. Right. Whereas I, Chris, <laughs> tend to like a grittier, slightly more blood splattery novels when it comes to <laughs> mysteries and thrillers. Sometimes. Uh, yeah, so. Yes. If you were looking for a good mystery type book, right? I mean, it is kind of a mystery, right? In some ways. Or more like you said, fried green tomatoes. Yeah, I think it's more like, like um, yeah, or what was the other reference was um, like water for chocolate. Okay. So no, I would say there's more food reference. Heather Weber has written mysteries in the past. Okay, that's This it. is her first foray into, I think, just straight fiction. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, there's mystery around, there's no like someone died and let's solve the mystery okay. kind of mystery, but there's more magical realism mystery. Okay. But no, it is not. It's pure pleasure and um, love and romance and the South, you yeah. know, lots of... Um, southern personalities which i find really fun to read as well nice yeah all right well the only thing i managed to finish reading in the last (laughs) two weeks was a short story by willa cather for the willa cather short story project and that was her story scandal Mm. which was the second story to feature a character named kitty who is a opera singer scandal was originally published in august of 1919 Oh, wow. So it's kind of cool to have read it yeah. in August of 2019, 100 years later, and a bit sad that some of the themes are still very much the same um, when it comes to, you know, Cather is always celebrated as a champion of immigrants, and this is a story where the main immigrant is pretty much the villain of the story. He's not described as the young man or the young father or the young woman who makes their way to America finally and achieves the American dream type thing. He's described as a beggar from somewhere in Austria who comes over, and he has a great work ethic. You know, he's trying to learn the culture and working hard, but his work ethic is considered almost, it's vanity, and it's almost bordering on villainy. Mm. Um, So, you know, one of the themes is that new money coming in and old New York being displaced, the true keepers of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's some of that in there. And again, it's the second story featuring Kitty. And Cather, as far as I know, I don't think she ever had another short story or, or story that featured the exact same character. You know, some of her artists are very similar, mm-hmm. uh, but never the same exact character. So this was a really good story. It was another, it was on the shorter side, But I love the way Cather packs so much in about being an artist and living a true life and social expectations. Some of the other ideas in there, you know, rich people kind of controlling what goes in the news. Like there is a report. So let me back up and say, so the guy who's kind of the villainous character, he hires, he employs a woman who's almost like a lookalike to Kitty, very close to looking like her. And he kind of stages her to be with him to up his social standing, up his cultural standing. So everyone thinks that he's having an affair with Kitty. Mm. But it's only the people who are the also outsiders who believe this. Of course, people within their true inner circle don't even know what's going on until this one guy kind of stumbles across it and begins to question it. And he has a friend who's a journalist who is just like, yeah, this is there's something stinky about this. So he kind of investigates a little bit. And finds the truth out, but he could never publish it as a reporter because the villainous guy who has all the money controls what goes in the paper because he has so much advertisement in the paper. Um, and you think this is the same stuff that's going on today. Yeah. It went on 400 years ago. Yeah. Um, so some things never change. It's a pretty shocking story. The ending is really shocking. Because it really hints to that whole conspiracy theory of Jews taking over the world, that Jews mm-hmm. control everything. Control the and, banks and control yeah, Hollywood. And, and, and yeah. it's, it's shocking. Um, and, I, you know, I think some people, they look, they look at fiction and they think an author is racist or sexist or anti-Semitic based on what they're writing. And I think these types of stories you have to look, especially within the writer's other pieces like is she depicting what she's seeing and this is what she is seeing Mm -hmm. or is she in agreement with this and I think that's such a slippery slope when you come to looking at literary study and analyzing literature and this is a great story to have a conversation about 
Well, I think, I mean, one of, I didn't read it, obviously, but I always think one of the conceits of the short story is that the fact that it's so short and so it can't, the story by nature can't be too in depth. Mm -hmm. It hints at a lot of things. And the point is to get you thinking. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And to not necessarily have the, the author doesn't necessarily give you the answers the author is giving you ideas to think about. Right. Right? Yeah, I think so. And I, the second time I read it, because I, when I finished it the first time, I was like, wow. You know, and I, so I let it percolate for a couple of days, and then I read it again. And I on the second reading, I started wondering, because Kitty also plays the patriarchy. You mm-hmm. know, she presents herself as this doll-like woman when she wants to, and almost, well, a toy. That's mm-hmm. the direct thing. Like, she's some kind of little doll. And so she plays that when she wants to within her own little world. And one of the threatening things that happen is when she's over at the rich villain's house, she's not in control. Mm. And she almost feels like this mob is closing in on her. It almost felt like Kitty could be having a little bit of a midlife crisis. She's also at the top of her, the top of the field. So, you know, younger people are biting at her heels and Mm -hmm. she feels that pressure But you almost wonder if she's agreeing with this anti-Semitic conspiracy theory instead of looking at patriarchy and that social gender structure. If instead of looking at that, she's blaming, she's you know accepting this kind of anti-Semitic theory. Hmm. You know that it's it's the Jews that control everything and not the men. You know, so like you have to look at that too. It's just a fascinating story, and it was actually one of F. Scott Fitzgerald's favorite short stories, which I could see because he explores a lot of the themes, similar themes in The Great Gatsby, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's a, a guy who's trying to get into that culture to love this woman, but these rich people who have old money, you will never get in. Right. You it's will always be that nouveau riche and right. tacky yeah. because you are not the true culture. Right. So. Right. Fascinating short story. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, for those of you who haven't been with us to know, Chris on her blog has a Willa Cather short story project going. Yeah. So you can go there, right? And yep. And put, you know, once you read the story, issue comments, it sounds mm-hmm. like this is one that's fodder for quite a I, lot of conversation. I think it, yeah, I think yeah. so. And so every month we're reading a different Cather short story. Yeah. And, It's been really interesting so far. So that was Scandal by Willa Cather. Wow, excellent. So Biblio Adventures, we got to go on a joint jaunt together, which, as we said at the beginning of the episode, has been our only time to see each other before today. And we went to RJ, Julia, and Madison Mm -hmm. and saw Jessica Francis Kane discuss her book, Rules for Visiting. Yeah, it was a really wonderful event. She read a bit from the book, which is always good to hear an author's voice. Yeah. And it sounds like a great read. Neither one of us have read it yet. It's pretty new. Right. And it is about a woman. She's looking at, what, 40? And she happens to get a week, a month off of work as a reward for something. And she decides she's a gardener at a university. She's on her own most of the time, has a lot of great solitude. So that's something the author was kind of playing with is that sometimes when people get a chunk of time off of work, they want to go and embrace solitude. And this woman's in the opposite vibe. She wants to go and reconnect with friends and learn how to be a better friend because she hasn't been all that connected to her friends. So she ends up going to visit, going visiting, mm-hmm. as the title suggests, and spends time, nights, and periods of time with different friends and tries to figure out how to be a better friend Yeah, and to explore friendship. And I think, I mean, it's so funny because it just makes me think of the experience just of traveling to visit people, I think, is always so interesting. And sometimes when I do big road trips, you know, and I stay at multiple friends' houses, I do a count of the number of beds I've slept in, the number of different animals I've been in house with, the number of children, the number of meals. You know, it's just interesting to step into other people's lives, I think. Yeah. And then to do it at the same time where you're trying to reestablish. That's the sense I got, Mm -hmm. that a lot of it was trying to reestablish friendships that have been, you know, waning or left unattended because... 
people get busy in their lives. Right. And one of the uh, sections that the author read was uh, a phone call when the main character is calling one of the friends saying, I'd I'd like to come for a visit and, you know, I have time off of work. And and the friend is like, oh, is everything okay? Right. Like, (laughs) because it's so unusual that she's calling to say, I'd like to come and visit. And and then she's like, well, when? And she's like, well, how about next week or whatever the the thing. And the woman's like, oh, oh, that soon. And, (laughs) well, of course, but I'll be working in... The character says, well, I want to see what a day is like for you, so that's fine. I don't expect you to take off or anything. Right. So, yeah. And not, not all the visits go well, as you can imagine. Right. And then there's also a thread of trees yes. that runs throughout the book. Yeah. She had an artist who she admires that she got in touch with and asked to do sketches for, I think, the beginnings of the chapters. Yeah. Right? Each of the chapters. Of the different trees. Yeah, yeah. Of the different trees that are mentioned. And she showed us exactly examples of them and they were absolutely stunning so and she too has an interest the author it's not there was a question from the audience about how autobiographical the story was which is kind of I think I mean I don't know if we have any authors listening but I think that's kind of like asking an author to see their underwear drawer Mm -hmm. you know like that's quite a private question yeah I mean there's a reason that it's a work of fiction and not a memoir or something you know so she, I thought she answered the question well, but she was quite elusive mm-hmm. in her answer. Yeah. But, um, but the author does have quite a love of trees and was exploring that and did explore it in the pages of the book as well, yeah. which I think is really cool. It is cool. And, I, you know, I've been at author events where people ask that question, well, what's autobiographical? Is this? Is that? Right. And especially newer authors, they, they're, you could see their eyes get big. They're like deer in the headlights because you don't, anticipate you I think most authors will say yeah it's slightly autobiographical of course there's some of me in this book or whatever the case may be but to have specific questions I think is kind of frightening so I I have come across authors who will say I will not talk about what bits are right autobiographical because that is a slippery slope I imagine well it's pretty nosy I mean like did you have a nervous breakdown like you know the woman in the book it's like what (laughs) so I mean I was really surprised and it was a small crowd so it was very intimate so it wasn't you know she couldn't quite avoid or you know well the woman who asked the question was adorable yeah you know she sat down she opened this big portfolio and had her pen in hand yeah so you kind of think like oh boy right she was taking notes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. How do I want to answer this question? Because I'm not sure where the answers are going to end up. Right. Yeah. It was pretty funny, but it, it, it was a lovely evening. Yeah. It was wonderful. And after the event, Emily took me out for ice cream a couple yes. doors down and we got to sit on a bench and eat our ice cream and have a little catch up. So it was a great evening. It was really nice. It was kind of one of those classic summer, you know, warm summer evenings. It was it was great. So that was our one Biblio adventure together. I did go up to South Windsor. And I visited the Wood Memorial Library and Museum. That's going to be the new home of the Willa Cather Book Club that meets quarterly. So our next meeting is in October, October 17th at 2 o'clock. If you're in the area, we'll be discussing The Professor's House by Cather. We used to meet at the Book Club Bookstore and more in South Windsor, which unfortunately closed. But Cindy, the owner, is now taking her company on the road. So her name is now Book Club on the Go. So Cindy found homes for the book clubs that she sponsored at her store, and she's going to be doing other author events in the area. And it's a fantastic historical library, great architecture, and they have an amazing collection of Native American arrowheads and other tools from the area. Because it is museum, library and museum. They also have a fantastic bird collection of shoreline birds. Stuffed birds. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. do you mean stuffed? Okay, yeah. I was trying to figure that out. Taxidermy. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I walked in and there was this big heron. I was like, wow, look at that heron. And then I turned and I looked and all of these cases, you know, gorgeous glass, wood, old cases full of birds displayed nicely. I know it's a little creepy sometimes. I know. It's, it's you know? Like total... Emily, Emily was splitting I, her eyes at me a little bit. Well, no, I, I have a love-hate relationship with taxidermy yeah. because I think it's so interesting to be able to see these things. I mean, I essentially live in a bird blind where I live now because yeah. I'm right on this salt marsh and the bird life is just off the chains yeah. every day. It's amazing. 
But the chance to get to see these, you know, birds up close that you get with, which is what taxidermy provides, Mm -hmm. right, is fascinating. But there's also kind of a creepster vibe to it. it, I know. It is a little bit. And Cindy met me there, I should say, at the library. And so I could see it for the first time and look around. And the volunteer's daughter who was there, she's nine, Celeste, I believe was her name. She was kind of giving us a tour around the building because she knows it inside (laughs) and out. And I didn't want to say too much at the time, but like you do like to think that these birds just died of natural causes and right. somebody right. found them and stuffed them. Yeah. It's not the case. You know, Audubon, mm-hmm. his Birds of North America, I love that book until I found out that Audubon actually killed the birds and then painted them, mm-hmm. usually from the dead bird, so he could get the details right. And, right. you know, you, I have anyway this romantic notion of a naturalist sitting in nature right but come on how you know to get those kinds of details that he had on those birds you do have to have a specimen right in front of you you can't get it from a photograph yeah Yeah. or sitting out and watching them fly hundreds of feet away exactly yeah Yeah. and so and if you are in the area we're again in guilford connecticut yale's beinecke library they have a first edition of audubon and they turn the page, I think, fairly regularly, so you can see a different bird on this huge book that's the size of a dining room table. Yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. Wow. That's yeah. cool. Well, I'm so glad you got to go up there, and I'm so glad the Willow Cather Book Club has a new home. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's You know, it's a, we're a good group, and we're always open to members, so it'll be uh, neat to see if we get some new people coming in this new venue. Yeah. Excellent. So what about you? Did you have any other adventures? No. All right. Just my joint jaunt. Well, I did have a couple other little adventures. My mom and uh, some relatives were in town, and we went to Mystic. We went to the Mystic Seaport Museum, which I'd never been to. It's one of those things that's been on my list since we moved here five years ago. So finally made it. It was a day. It was raining the whole day. And I I didn't realize that the museum is primarily an outdoor museum. Oh, ship no. museum. So but we had we had two umbrellas. There were four of us that went. So we had two umbrellas and then we bought two of those like rain ponchos yeah. that were like three ninety nine or yeah. something. It's a fantastic museum. So hands on. You can walk on some of the ships. And right now they're working on the Mayflower, the replica of the Mayflower, which is usually at Plymouth Plantation in Massachusetts. They've been kind of redoing it. They have a fantastic bookstore. Great gift store on the first floor, and then upstairs is a bookstore with nautical books in different categories. They have a category for nautical fiction, you know, maritime books about storms, about ships, women in nautical life. They have a really uh, pretty substantial kids' book section about the ocean and nautical ships, all that good stuff. So neat bookstore if you're in the area. I've wanted to go there also, and I never have. I feel like it'd be a great off-season thing to do as Mm -hmm. well because Mystic is one of those towns that kind of quadruples in the summer. So now that Labor Day is going to be over, I'm going to put that on my list. That'd be super fun to do. Yeah, it's really a neat museum. So I'd look forward to going back as well and poking around a bit more. And then they have... They do have buildings you can go in on this, and it's a huge property that Mm -hmm. they have. And they have different buildings with volunteers in there discussing whatever the purpose of that building might be, whether it's the sawmill or there was one building that focused on a lot of lights. They had a lot of nautical lights and rope, Mm. and the volunteer in there was talking about the smell of a whale ship Mm. and how the spermaceti actually got into people's pours into their bloodstream and everything and how men who worked on whaling ships and had that close contact with the spermaceti from the whales had really glowing skin oh that wow. their skin was amazing because of the softness provided by that huh. oil from the whales and stuff but that they stunk so bad right. <laughs> that they would really not be allowed to dock in a lot of places they wouldn't necessarily pull right up (laughs) in some towns because it smelled so bad. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, a fun, a really fun museum. Highly recommend So I know you're trying to call your books for your move. Were you tempted when you were at the bookstore? I was. I I have a mental list in my mind. And my mom kept saying, well, I'll buy you something if there's something you want. I said, Mom, you know, (laughs) we're trying to purge and let go. It's 
it's really not fun to buy things when you're in that mindset. No, so. it's true. When you know you're just going to have to move it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I'll definitely go back because they cool. had some neat books. Like there's one uh, diary, uh, and I didn't write down the names, but a diary of a, a woman who was aboard ship. Her husband was a captain, and so I just kind of was reading some pages in that, and it sounded mm. really interesting. Oh, cool. And I bet they had all of Nathaniel Philbrick's books, oh, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a local mystic author that writes a lot about nautical themes. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, cool. so really a neat neat bookstore. I'd, I'd totally go up there if you wanted to do yeah, that. Yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah. yeah. We did that, and then after we left Mystic, we went to Westerly, mm. Rhode Island, and we stopped at the Savoy, and there I did let my mom buy me a book. She bought me the new Louise Penny. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize it was out. It came out on Tuesday, which is the day my mom arrived. And usually, as I've said before, like a new Louise Penny release day is a holiday at my house. I usually get the book in the morning and then I spend the day reading. But that didn't happen this time. So um, I said, "Okay, mom, if you want to buy me a book. You can buy me that. And then I usually buy it, read it, and send it to her. Oh. So I said, you know, buy it for me, and I'll read it, and I'll send it to you as usual. So do you have a day planned this week? Are you going to be able to take a day for Louise Penny reading? Yeah. And what's it called? It's A Better Man. A Better Man. Is the name of this one, yeah. It just came out on Tuesday. And that's the Chief Inspector Gamache, for those of you who are into that. It's also called, people call it the Three Pines series. And then so my mom also picked up another book for herself. She got The Girl Who Lived Twice by David Lagerkrantz. That's the number six book in the Millennial series that oh, uh, right. Steve Larson. Larson started. Right. Yeah, so yeah. this is book six. So she's like, okay, good. I'll buy this and I'll read it and I'll send it to you. So, so now I know where you get your love of uh, dark reading. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the newer ones in those are, but the early, I read the first three and... Mm-hmm. I mean, they were page turners, and I loved yeah. them, but they were pretty dark. They're pretty dark. Yeah, my mom usually doesn't read dark. Mm, well, you know what? She used to read some thrillers, like The Eye of the Needle and, yeah. you know, books like yeah. that. But she really enjoyed the Stieg Larson, the yeah. first three, and she's read the, the other two, and now this is the sixth. I've not come across anyone who likes uh, David Lagerkrantz's books better than Stieg Larson's. Yeah. Everybody always says, oh, my God, I love those first three so much. No offense to David. It's just right. hard to pick up a series yeah. like that when it's such a beloved character. Yeah. You for know, sure. Elizabeth Salander. So yeah. she's just so kick ass. I loved those books. Yeah. And I was kind of shocked that I love them because they there is quite a bit of darkness, but yeah. So well written. So well done. Yeah. yeah. And uh so when we sat down, my mom, I had to take a phone call because I was also on the clock. So she sat down and was waiting for me. And when I came and sat down next to her, there was a copy of Donald and the Golden Crayon by P. Saunders. And it's a parody from Harold and the Purple Crayon, but it's looking at Donald Trump and (laughs) his outrageous behavior and what he's drawing for himself and everything. And that happened to be sitting there when my mom sat down, so she flipped through it. And she was like, here, read that real quick. So I read it. And it's a parody. um, And it's... It's, you know, funny, but then not, because I don't really think anything that's going on with the current administration is really funny anymore. Right. Or it's I never not joking. It was, I yeah. know. So anyway, we both read that, and I took a picture of her with it, just said, you know, story time with my mommy, right. because <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good visit, and she really enjoyed seeing the Savoy, because it's such a beautiful book. So beautiful. Jim and I were in Rhode Island last weekend, oh. and I really wanted to take him there. It was Sunday. And we pulled up at 6.15, and they close at 6 on Sundays. Oh, so he didn't get to see it. So yeah. it's still on my list to bring him there because it's just such a beautiful – you know, it was an old hotel. Is that right? And they did a very uh, wonderful philanthropist who has a love of the town of Westerly has done quite a bit of work refurbishing the historic buildings there. And he approached – the owner of Mystic Bookstore. Yeah, Bank Square Books. Bank Square yeah. Books in Mystic, I should say, and asked her if I did the rehab of this building, would you open another bookstore here? And they did, and mm-hmm. they opened the Savoy. And it's just a beautiful store. It is. It's so well done. It's, it looks like a, a 19th century type bookstore with wonderful s- ceiling and wood and cast iron railings. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, they did a fantastic job. And that philanthropist, I, I should know his name, um, but he, I think, was originally from Westerly and 
made his billions and is coming back now and helping to revitalize the town, which is a beautiful town in itself. But he said, you know, a town needs a bookstore. Yes. And I love that. Yeah. And they do wonderful events there and it, it's a great space. Yeah. So I'm glad you got to take your mom. Yeah. And then we went to New York and of course we stopped in the New York Public Library. Had right to on. see that. Um, I didn't buy any books there either because, we you know, we went to the gift shop. I did get a new fountain pen, though. Ooh, look at that. Yeah, it's my first um, Kiwoko, I think is how you... Kiwoko? A Kiwoko Sport. They're German fountain pens. The company's been around since, like, the 1870s or 80s. And I like how small it is when it collapses, so it's a great pocket pen. It's beautiful. It's hilarious, though. It's been sitting here on the desk. Next to um, Chris's chapstick, and I thought it was a tube of lipstick. Oh, yeah, it's about that size. (laughs) Yeah. I have a stipula fountain pen that collapses just a little bit smaller, Um, but these are great pens. They're very affordable. They have a metal version that's heavier. I got the the plastic or resin version because I like a lighter pen. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, But if you're looking for an affordable entry-level fountain pen, I totally recommend this one, Kiwoko Sport. Great. Yeah. So do you have any upcoming jaunts planned? I do. I have one coming up this week on Wednesday. So the day after this podcast posts, RJ, Julia, and Madison is hosting Madeline Miller, who's the author of The Song of Achilles and Circe. You That's going to that my one too? upcoming right. jaunt too. Let's go together. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I haven't read either book. I did have a copy of The Song of Achilles on my e-reader, and I read the first three chapters last night and got totally sucked in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've read The Odyssey and The Iliad and some other uh, Greek and Roman mythology, so I know some of the names, but all of their backstories are not implanted in my brain, but you don't need to know that to read it. It's a engaging story of a young boy who is not son his father wanted. I won't say anything more, in part because I don't know anything more <laughs> at this point. So. <laughs> well, it's so funny because people, including our buddy Barton Hordes, mm-hmm. who has um, the booktuber who does the... Um, yeah, Barter Hordes. Oh, Barton. Yeah. Did I say Barton? Barter Hordes. <laughs> Professed terrible person with names here. Sorry. <laughs> Barton. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, he talked a lot about Cersei when we had him on, that um, he thought it would be the winner of mm-hmm. the BookTube award yeah. that he's um, hosting. But I've always thought, and I've said this to several friends, that her writing's a little too smart for me. Oh, really? Because I don't know any of the Greek mythology stories. Mm-hmm. And everyone always says to me, you don't need to know them to appreciate yeah. these books. But... Both of her books have gotten such high praise, and I was thrilled to see that she's coming because it, it must be coming out in paperback or something. Because yeah, because Cersei came out in twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm guessing this is her paperback tour, possibly. Yeah. And I think she just lives up the road in Boston. Oh, so I maybe think, she so. just hadn't had a chance to get down here then. I don't possibly, know. Don't yeah. quote me on the paperback thing. The but. Song of Achilles came out in two thousand eleven, and I it made a really big splash. Yeah. and I know people loved it couple people hated it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's probably a good read. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, but she won the Woman's Prize for Fiction in 2012 because of the Song of Achilles. Yeah, so that's, a, that's a big award. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing her. I'm so glad we yeah, can go together. Good. Yeah, Kate is coming up from the Bronx. We oh, have good. some friends coming into town for that one. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, I'm going to be traveling again. I actually have a September filled with travel. Um, and I am going to be bopping to Ohio. Really, it's a work trip. But I thought I may as well just look and see what's new in the bookstore world because I haven't lived there now for five years. And there's a new bookstore, at least it's new to me. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it being there when I lived there, called Once Upon a Time Bookshop. And that's time spelled T-H-Y-M-E for the herb. And it's a cookbook store and cook store. I think they have cooking equipment as well. So I am so excited. (laughs) It's in Beaver Creek, Ohio, which is just a town over from where I was born and raised. So I'm really excited to check that out. Nice. Slightly risky also, but... (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, just cook stores are risky for me. So you combine that with cookbooks. and And you're driving? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, 
All right, money. You can always ship stuff, but I was going to say, if you have your car, load it up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, I am not. I'm flying. And it's like I said, it's going to be a very quick trip, so I'm hopeful that I'll get a chance to sneak over there. Right. Any upcoming reads? Yes. Well, I'll be reading A Better Man. That's the new Louise Penny that I mentioned earlier. Emily mentioned Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison that I would be reading that. September 1st to the 15th, some Booktopians from the fans of Booktopia Goodreads page will be reading Song of Solomon in honor of Toni Morrison, who passed away uh, just earlier this month. That's September 1st through the 15th, so anytime you want to hop in on that Goodreads thread, feel free to join the conversation. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, so I'll be reading that, and then also... You know, a big release, September is always a big release yes. month, but one of the big books is The Testaments by Margaret Atwood, which is a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Right. So I will probably be reading that. That comes out September 10th, if I didn't say that date already. I'm not sure how big of a book it is. If it's under 300 pages, I'll read it. And if it's over <laughs> that, I have a lot of other books I want to get to first. Yeah. But I mean, I've read The Handmaid's Tale a couple times, and... It's a fascinating book, and I look forward to what Margaret Atwood has to add to that story. Yeah, and this one has been interesting because it's been completely under wraps. There's been no early release, no ARCs, no bookstores have read it, you know, or booksellers, I should say, have read it. And she's doing that announcement. It's like an announcement from London or a presentation, and I did put a link in... The show notes of episode 83, I will put it in 84 also because we could go to Bramford. They're showing it at theaters, like the live performance. A live feed. Yeah, live stream. I think it's the fancy way of saying it. We're not in our 50s. They're live streaming this um, Margaret Atwood from London kind of announcing it and maybe doing a reading, I think. I'm not Mm. exactly sure what the pomp and circumstances. Yeah, well, you know, Margaret Atwood is cutting edge because she was one of the authors who experimented with the long distance autographing pen. Oh. Do you remember hearing about no. that? Where this pen that would transmit their autograph. I'll, I'll find that out and I'll see if we can put a link about that in the yeah. show notes. So I've she's never heard of been that. up on technology. That sounds very Star Trek to like me. This. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's part of, um, you know, they're creating a buzz around it, mm-hmm. you know. But it's also, I mean, her books do take place in the future, right? So it makes sense yeah. that... Well, what was fascinating about The Handmaid's Tale, and, and I've, I read it the first time, like, in the 90s, and then I read it again within the last couple of years, and I didn't remember a lot of the details, but it's the story that's set around Boston, and so you're following these characters, but then you realize there's also a conference, an academic conference going on in the future, looking back at this time period and studying it and trying to understand what happened and how people lived and and that's fascinating so you do have that two time period thing going on where you feel like you're contemporary in the story and then all of a sudden you're at this academic conference and yeah so now i'm just really fascinated about the testaments to see where is she going time-wise right is she going before or way after it's going to be interesting to find out yeah well coming soon that's exciting looking forward to that yeah so what do you have coming up on your stack there Oh, um, I have one that I think this came out a couple years ago now, or maybe it was 2018. It's called The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. I think it's how you say her name. M-A-K-K-A-I. A lot of people were talking about this book, and um, I'm going to have the opportunity to see her in November. So I thought yeah. I would get it, get it on my reading list. Um, I haven't talked to anyone who didn't love it, frankly. Yeah, I've seen that one a lot. And then also a book called Your Duck is My Duck (laughs) Stories by Deborah Eisenberg. Um, This was a notable book from the New York Times Book Review, I think also 2018. I do have a paperback version. Yeah, 2018. Um, She's supposed to be a fantastic short story writer. She's blurred by George Saunders on the back. I don't think she's written a short story collection since 2000, or even anything. Nothing has been published since 2006 in book form. I think she has a lot of short stories that are published in various 
periodicals and mm. such. So I'm really looking forward to digging into this. She's another author. I'm going to be going to a book event in Charleston mm. in November, and she's another author that's going to be there. As will Lenal Shriver. Mm. And um, another book that's on my list coming up is uh, Property, Stories Between Two Novellas. That's cool. And I had heard about this book when it came out. This is another notable book of 2018 from the New York Times. Because I believe there's a novella at the beginning and a novella at the end, and then a group of short stories in between. And I've read some of her fiction. She wrote that book, We Need to Talk About Kevin, Mm -hmm. that a lot of people talked about. And it's kind of a disturbing story about family that has a child who... I can't remember if he does... He does something very awful, Mm. I think. Okay. I might be completely misremembering that, (laughs) but a lot of people talked about that book. And then she also wrote a book, I think, called, let me just look it up. That's a cool cover. It has different doors on the front. I love old doors. I think the only book I've read of her is We Need to Talk About Kevin. So, So Property, Stories Between Two Novellas is another one. So I've got a bunch of short stories to read. That's great. And I'm curious. I always struggle when I get a short story collection because I want to read it like a novel. Like, I just open it up from page one and keep going but I know a lot of people will just open to one of the stories and read it mm-hmm. so I might try to do that just to you know rock my world a That'd little be bit great. rock up your little <laughs> anal retention yeah that's right reading <laughs> shake it up <laughs> <laughs> and that's Emily's description of herself you call yourself <laughs> anal right well yeah I do <laughs> <laughs> well what is it not type a you're an upholder Yes, I'm an upholder, the upholder. in the um, Gretchen Rubin Four Tendencies. I'm an upholder, yes. so which means I tend to be a rule follower. Yeah, so you want to read the book like you've been, we've all been trained to read a book. Right. Page one to right. page end. Yeah. Yeah. But I like to fancy myself someone who can have like short story collections sitting around. Yeah. And then just pick up a book and open it to a short story and just, you know. Just be a rebel for a minute. All right. We'll check in with you in two weeks and see how that went. (laughs) Says my rebel friend. Chris is a rebel. So to her, she's thinking like, why is that a big deal? (laughs) Open the book to page 50 and start on story number five. Who cares? (laughs) I don't know if I'm that much of a rebel. (laughs) You know, there was um, a really neat book that's just come out, If... It's about Rudyard Kipling in America. I didn't even know the man lived in America for a while. In the 1880s to the 1890s, he had lived in Brattleboro, Vermont. So the book is called If. It's by Christopher Benfey. And I saw a notification of it in, in a book page magazine. But Pamela Paul interviewed him on one of the recent episodes of the Book Review Podcast. And really interesting, he Kipling was in part coming here to study American writers. He was a big fan of Emerson and Twain. He read Cather. He read Louisa May Alcott and Sarah Orne hmm. Jewett. And he, he came here intentionally pretty much to follow Mark Twain, I guess. That was his, that was his big hero. And he ended up marrying a woman in Brattleboro, an American, and so they were here for a while. And he actually wrote The Jungle Book in Brattleboro, Vermont. And oh, it blows so my mind to think about that because, I, like I said, I had no idea he even lived in America. This was when he was, quote, nobody. He was a young guy. He was in his 20s just starting to write, and he had come from India, And one of the fascinating uh, comments that's made in this interview was that when he landed in San Francisco, it reminded him of India. I don't remember which city. And then when he got to Chicago and there were cows walking around the streets, it reminded him of Calcutta. And so this must be from his letters or his journals. So just a fascinating observation of America by this young English guy who's just been in India coming to America. And I really look forward to, I think I'm going to try and listen to the audio version of this, but it just sounds like a really great read. I'm not sure when I'll get to it, but if anybody, if this sounds interesting to anybody out there, check out, it was the August 23rd episode of the book review from the New York Times. Pamela Paul does a great interview with the author, Christopher Benfey. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. And then there were two other, this is from uh, the latest book page magazine uh our library has this free i know you can subscribe to it 
as well if you're interested. I think there is a slight charge when you subscribe and have it delivered to your home. But I always pick up a copy at our local library. And there are just two books I wanted to mention. One is by a woman named Caitlin Doty. This is her third book. And she is a mortician and death activist is Mm. uh, what she calls herself. And so she likes to write books for kids about death, addressing a lot of the questions that they ask about it. Because she said, you know, adults are so numb. They don't like to ask questions. They just accept what's always been done, whereas kids are just, you know, how kids are. They, yeah. they ask whatever's on their mind. So her new book is called, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? <laughs> Big questions from tiny mortals about death. And so they had some questions in here because they they interviewed her uh, for this. One of the questions, I just had to share this with listeners. What would happen if you swallowed a bag of popcorn before you die and were cremated? (laughs) I just love that question. question. Isn't that a great question? I want to know the answer. Well, the answer is, this is the direct thing from the article here. A cremation machine is three times hotter than the ideal temperature for popping corn, so the kernels would just burn. That's the answer. So, But I just thought that sounded like a great book and something our listeners might be interested in checking out. It also just makes me realize like how much quiet space children have in their minds to just ponder. Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a perfect example of that. Isn't that? Yeah. They're not worried about like, don't forget to buy toilet paper on the way home from work today. Right. And they're not even worrying about dying for no. the most part. No. I know some kids yeah. are. I don't mean to be absolutist in a statement like that. So this is another book. I I underlined a sentence that I want to talk with you about. Uh, It is a book called Learning from the Germans, Race, and the Memory of Evil. It's by Susan Neiman. So there's this sentence in here. They're talking about, well, Brian Stevenson, whose book we read, and we saw him up in Rhode Island. Uh, I don't remember the name of his book, but he wrote about the inequality of African Americans in the criminal justice system his book was called just mercy just mercy and he's also one of the creators of the equal justice initiative in montgomery alabama and now the creator of what's informally known as the national lynching memorial Mm -hmm. so they're talking in terms of germany and what happened during world war ii and the anti-Semitism there, and looking at race in america and this is a sentence from the article He said that nothing similar has been done here because of the lack of shame about what was done. So they're talking about the reparations that were done in Germany and the memorials that have been done in Germany for all the Jews that were murdered during World War II by the Nazi regime. And Brian Stevenson is saying, and I think Susan Nyman, the author, are saying that nothing's been done here Mm -hmm. because there's this lack of shame of what was done with slavery and racial inequality here in Mm -hmm. America. And so I wanted to talk with you about shame Mm -hmm. because I know you read a lot um, from from Brene Brown Mm -hmm. who talks about the harmful effects of shame. Mm -hmm. And the last author interview we had Mm -hmm. talked about the sexual shaming Mm -hmm. of young girls in the evangelical movement. Mm-hmm. The purity movement. Right. So what, you know, has Brene Brown talked about the healthy parts of shame and what shame can help with or? Huh, I don't think so. I mean, she definitely talks about the difference between guilt and shame. Okay. Which um, Linda Klein, Kate Klein talked about also. But I think that this is a perfect example of when shame is combined with another situation, Mm -hmm. you know, and in this case, there's been a lot of talk. I don't think I'm answering your question. I'm thinking as I talk, but there's been a lot of conversation about how these kind of the the heirs to the slavery epidemic are are often heard to be saying, you know, what do you want us to do about it now? Mm -hmm. You know, this is in the past. But I think that's a cover-up for shame, mm-hmm. personally, and not an acceptance of of their history, of how their family got to be where it is because of the hist- the shared history of slavery, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I was I just know. really struck by that. Yeah. So, and I should back up and say that the author, Susan Neiman, was in Alabama, and she spent time talking with Brian Stevenson. And So read that sentence again. 
He said that nothing similar had been done here because of the lack of shame about what was done. See, so he's suggesting that there is no, that there, that folks are not feeling shame, so they don't need to make reparations. Isn't that what that's that what he's saying? Yeah, because they're saying that Brian uh, Stevenson is the only American public figure who's really embraced Germany's confrontation mm-hmm. with their past mm-hmm. as a model for what the U.S. could do yeah. with with our past yeah. and history of, of racism and slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think his point of, I mean, in the, in the interviews I've seen with him talking about the museum he's created, it's also creating a visual so that people can understand what it is, because I think a lot of people choose not to mm-hmm. understand it. And, you know, the New York times is running this big sixteen nineteen project right now. Yeah. That's fantastic and very interesting. And, you know, not to get off on a huge tangent on this, but it's interesting because when we read Gone with the Wind, I had a very interesting talk with my sister about it, who read it once we were finished, you know, and had had our conversations with Jenny about it and everything. And my sister's a physician, and we started to talk about genetics and the the component, you know, the part of the interesting part of Gone with the Wind was when when you're in the point of the story of reconstruction and folks are saying to African-Americans, like, you're free, go, live long and prosper. And it's like, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, like, great, it's great to be free, but one, you know, it's like, are you saying now I have to move up to Chicago in order to have a life for myself and leave my family behind? Is that one of my choices? Or, you know, I'm comfortable in this situation that I'm working in maybe but could you perhaps pay me to do the work now you know so it's like the choices were very difficult that were left to be made Mm -hmm. right but that's where we were and that's how that's our American history but now there's a lot of study with epigenetics where the harm done during the time of slavery is actually in the DNA of it's an inherited DNA that you experienced that right so I think that's where some of the reparations need to be done today because these are families who have been impacted over time generation upon generation and studies are showing now literally their DNA has been affected by this situation right yeah That's intense. So I think that that's where, if I had to guess where now, if we want to start tackling this issue now, where a lot of the shame resides is with these next generation folks who have that history to bear, Mm -hmm. right? And by not recognizing it and not making it public, we're making their job harder, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which makes you more shame ridden. Well, especially with the American myth of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right. which again, the, the lone wolf thing, like nobody right. does anything by themselves. Right. Like, yes, you work hard and you build a business, but you have an infrastructure of your family, of your community, of the world economic system that is supporting you. Right. And, and I think like certain people know how to work that system. Mm-hmm. They have mentors, they have resources, people they can talk to. And when you don't, it is a different world. Right. And I think in the case of, you know, again, going back to Gone with the Wind, not that I'm saying we should get all of our history from the reading of Gone with the Wind, but, you know, when Reconstruction came, there was that the turning to fear, you know, like if you owned your slaves before, I don't think there was a lot of fear of your slaves. But now all of a sudden, the landowners, the white landowners felt afraid of these free black slaves. And I think that is another place where there was a change in our society that has yet to been re- repaired right. as well. Exactly. And, and one of the articles I read in support of Reading Gone at the Wind and Safira and the Slave Girl talked about how the enslaved blacks had been portrayed as kind of like these harmless, happy-go-lucky Uncle Tom type characters. Mm-hmm. And then around the Fugitive Slave Act time period, the attitude started changing and portraying African Americans and slave blacks as dangerous beasts, especially mm-hmm. the men mm-hmm. um, who are just going to go rape and pillage, mm-hmm. and that attitude changed because of the fear. And I think it's there's just so much to be learned and talked about, and mm-hmm. 
as we have said in the past on our episode, we are two white women, Mm -hmm. middle class women, and we want to talk about these things. And we may not always say things the right way, but we want to talk about it. So we invite conversation about these issues. Yeah, and it's one of the things I really admire about Brian Stevenson. I don't know anything about the author that you're talking about, but you know, one of the things when we saw Brian Stevenson in Rhode Island and he talks about in his book is, you know, people ask him, "Why did you go down to Alabama and open this organization?" And he said, "You know, so much about it is being proximate." And I think about that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the best way to learn about ourselves and people who feel other than us is to be proximate Mm -hmm. and to not be afraid and to be open to understanding and learning yeah and I feel like he is championing that and we're all so lucky to have him in that way so I'm I'm very interested that the two of them are having conversations and that sounds like um, a great book. Can you say the title of it again? Yeah, it's Learning from the Germans, Race and the Memory of Evil by Susan Neiman. And she is a professional philosopher. She's the director of the Einstein Forum in Potsdam, Germany. Hmm. So she is part journalist, part historian. And she really, you know, looks at all the, the slavery and racism and the Nazi regime and trying to remember and deal with that legacy and this i'm reading directly from the article that she is a white jewish woman who grew up in the segregated south in the united states she lived in israel for several years and has been a resident of berlin for most of her adult life so she has a fascinating background and talk about being proximate proximate yeah Yeah. so that sounds like a great book too yeah thank you for bringing it to our attention that could be another actually good one to listen to on audio yeah it might be and again these are both books in the september edition of book page magazine which you might be able to find free at your library yeah our our library actually runs out of them you have to kind of get to them early Early. in the month yeah and you can go online too they they do have a web page oh okay check that out i'll put that in the show notes as well all right everybody well we are kind of coming to an end kind of coming to an end listen to that (laughs) we are at the end of episode 84 happy Happy reading. reading thanks for listening to the book cougars with chris wallach and emily fine to keep the bookish conversation going online Join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.